Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Man, I tell you what, it's, it's a little cooler without that alien costume on. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I'm still in costume. Yeah, no. Thanks. <laughs> I am so sorry. But, but I was out there running around getting all the, and I'm telling you, some of the folks were looking at me kind of weird. Kind of weird. I was one of them. I, were you? <laughs> it is great to see all of you this morning. We want to thank you for coming and thank you for bringing your kids. And I see a lot of the folks that were here last night. It's good to see all of you today. Man, we had a good time. So much fun. I, I'm serious. This, this place was loaded with families. I mean, it was just jacked up with children. And, and we were just, uh, there's a lot of sugar out there. There was a lot of, um, I mean... I'm Dancing. still a little jet, still, yeah, <laughs> still shaking a little bit from all the sugar that was out there, but it was a blast, and I want to thank you for coming out if you came there, and, uh, and then if you come this morning, I want to thank you for all our, our trunk or treat people. They did a great job. All you trunk people, you were Amazing. awesome. Amazing. So good. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I just want to tell you a little bit that stinks. You know, I'm going to tell you what stinks is that my, we could not win the trunk award because I'm the pastor of the church. You know, I mean that's fair. Like, like I got like like God's helping me build that thing, and it's an unfair advantage or something. That's what yeah, I was thinking. Okay, well, but we had a really good time. It, it was a lot of fun, and uh, we're gonna do it again. And and your kids are having fun right now. And by the time you pick them up, <laughs> good luck with that for the rest of the day. We'll have them all jacked up, ready to go. So Suzanne leads our missional outreach and our small groups, and one of the great things that happened recently was the Ronald McDonald House. Tell us a little bit about what Crosstown did there. So you guys are amazing. We were able to feed 120 people dinner throughout the month of September for the families that were staying there. We um, provided them with 65 meals to go and 30 welcome bags for their rooms that were just filled with games and blankets and snacks. It was just amazing outpour of the love of Crosstown on these families that are walking through a difficult time. Wow, that is phenomenal. You guys did a great job. Woo! Absolutely awesome. And, and we got another opportunity for people to get plugged in and to serve coming up leading into Thanksgiving. It's a, it's a real big one. Yes, it is. We will be um, looking for volunteers and some of our small groups have agreed to do it to create um, and make a Thanksgiving meal for um, homebound or hospice patients that um, will maybe be spending their last Thanksgiving together or just in need. Um, and haven't had a good Thanksgiving meal together. Um, the kids' ministries are going to be involved. They're going to be making decorations for the meals and yeah. cards, and it's just going to be, I've experienced this in working in hospice. Um, I've seen this firsthand, and it really blesses these families. So we are looking for people who are interested in helping provide the meals, deliver the meals um, in any way that you'd like to participate. Um, it's going to be a really awesome Wow. Can I encourage you guys? That, I mean, that is, what an incredible ministry. It's already hard enough to be a family member or a person in that situation, but to have somebody come alongside and provide you a, not just here, here's a frozen turkey, God bless you, but rather actually create the whole environment for them. Yeah, it's, it really does show them just that people are thinking about them and praying for them. Um, and it's just an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah, now, now, and I just want to kind of, I'm jumping a little early here about the other, other mission that you're working on, but I, I really want these people to hear that what we're praying about and we're seeking the Lord's wisdom on, another way to get involved in bringing the, the love of Christ to other people. Will you tell them about the 
Florence, Florence, yeah, Florence. Florence, okay. Florence okay. Yes. So there was a couple of us that went to the Florence Critton home on Friday night. And if you don't know what the Florence Critton home is, it's um, a home in downtown Charleston. They, ha they can house up to 15 at-risk teenagers anywhere aged from 10 to 21. Most of these teenagers are pregnant or parenting. And so we went down, they had wanted to decorate pumpkins. So there was a few of us that went down there and it was just an amazing, amazing night. Um, I am not very crafty, so I mostly held the babies. Um, but most of the moms were like, I've never done this before, how does this look? And just the idea that um, someone who is parenting or has never even like had a pumpkin of their own. I mean, that sounds like such a simple thing. Um, and some of the girls, when we first got there, they were very hard and they didn't want to talk to us and that was fine. But at the end of the night, they were like, can you come back and pick me up and maybe we can do dinner together. I had a girl ask me for a, um, a Bible, which we bought her a study Bible. It was just an amazing experience to be able to um, not be there necessarily preaching to these girls, just right. to love on them and help them um, have real life experience that most of us take for granted, like carving a pumpkin. And what would you say the youngest mom there was? Um, there was a 14-year-old girl there. She yeah. is she is not, no, she wasn't a mom, but, um, and, and we don't, they weren't, like a lot of them opened right up and told us all their stories that some of them did not. So I don't know her story, but she was the youngest. Yeah. Now, you know, having a pro-life perspective on, on things is, is a great thing. Um, it's a very convenient thing when it's inoperative, but when it actually takes action is when it gets involved in the lives of people who have decided that they're going to have children. And um, let me just encourage you. It is convenient to have ethics, but when ethics become life and touch people and involved in people's lives, that's when the ethic becomes real. It's not real only at the voting box. It's real when we actually get involved in helping people uh, in a tough situation. So we're going to be looking forward to more of that. Let's give it up for Suzanne. She's doing an incredible job. Thank you. Absolutely incredible. So yesterday we had hundreds of families, and I mean hundreds of family and children on the front lawn and the trunk of tree party, and, and it was really cool. I saw a lot of costumes. Um, I was surprised how big Toy Story was. I, I didn't think, I think I saw more Toy Story ones than I saw any. I thought I was gonna see Marvel. Um, I think I may have only saw one Marvel superhero. Jurassic Park tried to, you know, uh, raise its head from extinction once again and tried to, um, you know, be there, but I saw mostly the Toy Story ones, and, and it really was a lot of blast. But, um, you know, masks can be a lot of fun in Halloween, but the problem is, is, is when we begin to bring them back into regular life. And I'm not talking about the plastic ones. Um, rather, the masks that we live with, because we're afraid of what somebody else will think about us. And, and, and I think we all are. I think if we're all honest, we, we are concerned concerned about what other people think about us, what God thinks about us. And I've seen all kinds of masks, and um, maybe, maybe you're a mask wearer like I've been a, a mask wearer a lot of the times in my life. And, and I, think, I think we wear masks because we're afraid of rejection from people. Um, maybe we've already experienced from others, so we kind of wear personal masks because of that. Maybe Maybe we wear a mask because we're trying to hide the blemishes of failure. We've made mistakes and we're just afraid that somebody's going to find out that, well, we used to, you know, uh, snort cocaine or that we went through a divorce or we've gone through a hardship in our lives and we, we tried to handle those blemishes. Or maybe, maybe we wear masks because we want to conceal the victimization in our lives. 
something that somebody did to us or maybe that we did to other people. And we, we try to put on a mask, and, and I have to be honest with you, there's no place where masks are worn more than Sunday morning. I mean, I think, especially in the Bible Belt, you know, I, we, we all put on what? Our Sunday best. And, then, and there's nowhere in the Bible where it says, bring me your Sunday best. Some people will be, you know, like, I can't believe he's wearing an alien costume on Sunday morning. That's so inappropriate. No, um, that's the first time that's ever been said, probably in the history of the church, that somebody has ever said it's inappropriate to wear an alien costume on Sunday morning. But let's be honest. Sometimes we'll, we'll go into a church and we'll look people up and down to see how they're dressed because we're supposed to bring God our Sunday best. But there's nothing in Scripture about that. You know, and so we put on a mask of a smile or a perfect life and, and really that this is the place where we're able to reveal ourselves to God and, and even at some degree to reveal ourselves to one another. And because of longing for approval, I think, I think we're deathly afraid of being vulnerable. I, I think we really are afraid of, of being vulnerable in front of people. And so um, we put on masks. Now, I know that there are some of you that are here that maybe you just folded your arms and, or maybe inside you're like, I don't give a flip what anybody thinks right now. I mean, I heard a couple people um, say that. It's like, I don't give a rip, you know. Um, but you know what? There is a, there's a masking in that also. There's a, there's a masking in creating a rough exterior or a barrier of offense so that nobody really finds out who you are. And so sometimes we can play the tough guy or tough gal because we really don't want somebody to get closer to us. And it's just another kind of ma a mask. We need to realize that whether it, as a human, we were, whether it's biological or psychological or spiritual, we were not created to live alone. We were not created to live behind masks. That's not the way that we were designed. And in order to live authentic, free lives, we must reveal, re realize the truth of what we already know. I mean, let's just say what we already know, because if you've lived in your skin long enough, you know this truth. And Paul gave it to us in Romans 3, 23, just reflecting what we already knew. I don't think anybody is surprised by this, that for all have sinned and short, fall short of the glory of God. I don't think anybody, anybody here is thinking that they're perfect. I don't think anybody here thinks they, they've done it absolutely right all of their lives. I think if we're really honest, when we get home and we deflate the costume, remove the mask, we kind of look into the mirror, or whether we get up in the morning, I think we all realize, man, there's some stuff going on inside of me that, that may be a little bit troubling, something that shouldn't be there, something that maybe I've done. So we try to hide it from the disapproval of people. Or, or maybe we deride the approval of other people. Or, or maybe we try to stand above other people. Like, as long as I'm better than that guy, you know, I'm doing okay. As long as I don't have the problem that she has, as long as I'm dressed better than they are, as long as my job makes more money than what they make, or I live in a certain neighborhood, that, yeah, I haven't really resolved this issue of knowing every morning when I unzip myself in front of the mirror of honesty that I have fallen short of the glory of God and that there are things that I have done or have been done to me that I don't want people to know. 
but that we all execute some sort of fail-safe system to what? Save face. I mean, we even use that terminology. We want to save face, and that's what a mask does. It saves face. It hides us from the opinion of other people. So we craft or we buy or we achieve our mask. Or here's the other thing that happens. Maybe if you haven't bought your mask or you haven't crafted it or you haven't achieved it, you let somebody else give you your mask. You let society tell you, yeah, hey, you're going to need to wear this because we don't want your kind around here because you don't live up to the standards of the club that we're a part of in humanity. And so here we, we will hand out masks to other people. You know, in one of the Gospels, um, there was a masquerade party being thrown at a man named Simon's house. And, I mean, it was, it's kind of like a Halloween party. You know, I have to be honest with you, it was probably worse than a Halloween party. You say, what can be worse than a Halloween party? It was a religious party. Uh, it, that's really scary because those are not people just trying to scare other people and fake other people out. These are people trying to fake God out. Okay, so there was this masquerade party being thrown, and then Jesus and his disciples got an invitation to it, and then, you know, the disciples like, we don't do Halloween. Jesus said, man, you're already doing Halloween. You know, you're living Halloween. You're already dressed up and behind a mask. But he said, no, no, we're going to go. I, you know, Jesus didn't want to miss a party, and, and so uh, he goes to this party, and, and we, we hear this incredible thing that goes on. And let me read this party description to you, Luke 7, verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. So everybody's sitting around, you can imagine, you know, just everybody's got their robes on and, you know, all their outfits and, you know, they probably look just as silly as me in an alien costume, but, you know, they all kind of were all dressed up and, and, uh, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar full of ointments, kind of like a, a big ornate jar, it's meaning that she's, she's paid a big price for this. This is a very precious item. And standing behind Jesus at his feet, she began to weep, and she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. See, this woman's life experience had, had given this woman a, a mask to wear. But I, I want you to see that in the middle of this story, the only person that really comes out of this well is this woman who's dealt with her mask. See, she's been assigned, even the gospel writer describes her, we don't have a name given to this woman. And because sometimes our stories eliminate our name, don't they? They can kind of eliminate our identity. And then the village or the town or the high school that we went to or the family that we were born into kind of assigns us a name, a title. And this, one, this woman was the woman of the city who, who was a sinner. That's all that we know about her. Now, when the Pharisee who invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, <laughs> if this man were a prophet, he probably had an English accent, if this man was a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. See, Simon has already given this woman a mask, 
And he's, and he's like, well, everybody else see the mask that I've given her? He's, as soon as she walked in the door, and as soon as he, I spy somebody in this room that's a sinner, he gives her a mask. And he's like, put this on. This is how we talk about you. This is how we think about you. And then he's like saying to himself, well, if Jesus is any man worth being called religious and worth being followed, then he ought to respect the mask. You know, and so he, he, he's like, well, if Jesus is any good, if God really knows what's going on, then he would respect the mask. He would also identify her this way. But Jesus knows exactly who this woman is. It's not like Jesus is being fooled by anybody in the room. He knows exactly who this woman is. And so Jesus wants to get into this conversation about this. And, and Jesus answering said to him, now, wait a minute. Can I just point out a little story, part of the story that you may really think is woo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo, but very interesting? It says, and when the man who invited him saw this, he said to himself, who's he having this conversation about what kind of woman this is? Because we can have conversations within ourselves about what we think other people are. Because of the wrong color, the wrong gender, the wrong you know, uh, social economic standing in life, whatever, lack of education, whatever they've done wrong, an ex-con, or whatever that, whatever, whoever they are. We can have a conversation within ourselves. But I love what it says is, and Jesus answered and said to him, like wait a minute, the guy didn't say anything to Jesus. But Jesus is already answering him. So isn't it interesting that Jesus is answering your perception about people right now? What you may have said about somebody today, or maybe in your life, what you're hearing today is God saying, well, I heard what you said about them. I'm answering you today. Or here's the thing. He may have heard what somebody else said about you. Your dad. You know, somebody at, at, you know, your coach. You know, I can still remember being 14 years old and trying out for the basketball team. And I remember uh, my coach, I made the last position on the basketball team in junior high. And when I, I came out for the basketball game, I knew I wasn't going to get any playing time. To be honest with you, I was scared to death. I didn't want any playing time. I couldn't dribble left. You know, everybody knew I couldn't dribble left, and so that was it. But um, I remember when a big kid came from a transfer school and came into my school, and, and I remember my coach coming up to me. He said, listen, Paul, you know, i got to be honest with you. You're not really any good, and you want the team to win, right? And I said, yes, sir. And, and he said, uh, I need you to give up your spot. This kid's better than you are. And I tell you what, I have hated, except for the Boston Celtics, I have hated basketball to this day because of what that guy said to me. You know, but you're here, and some of you have had worse things said to you. Or at least you have felt those things spoken over your life. Whether it's because of a mistake you made, whether, whatever it may be, that some of us have had things spoken over our lives. We've had things said to us. But here, I want you to know, no matter what was said in somebody's heart, what you say about yourself in your own heart, Jesus is answering you today. He heard, and he's answering he said, Simon, I have something to teach you. And he answered, say it, teacher. But he's not really looking to learn anything. 
A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, which was a bunch of money, and the other owed just 50 denarii. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them, the guy that owned 500 and the one that owed 50. Now, which one of them will love the master more? You know, it's like what Jesus is doing is trying to help Simon realize that the person wearing the mask in the room is the one who can't understand what he's saying to him, who doesn't get it. So we got somebody that owes a lot, and, and, and if somebody all of a sudden came along, gave you a brand new car, and then somebody else over here gave you a bus ticket, and both people invited you to Thanksgiving, which one do you think you would probably go to? I think if, you know, if we're doing a Thanksgiving thing, I think I'm going with the guy that got me the new car. I mean, there's nothing evil about that, that this person really went out of their way. I mean, this was, this, if both of them were financially equal who were giving to me, I'd be like, this guy really helped me out. This woman helped me in my situation of my life. And Jesus says, you get that, right? It's like that it, it produces a response in a person's love. So that if somebody realizes how much they need love and they discover it, it will produce a response and that response of love. So he throws that whole analogy out there, and, he, and Simon said, well, and Simon gets the math, he says, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly, Simon. So the mask is pulled back. Did Simon really get it? You know, did he really understand? Did he all of a sudden go, wow, you're right, Jesus. You know, I, that when somebody realizes how much they need for God in their lives, that when all of a sudden when they get a hold of that, they have the ability to love more. That when the mask is removed and they, and they feel safe around God, they have that ability to love more. Then Jesus, turning to the woman, said to, said to Simon, again, he's turning towards the woman, but he's talking to this man over here. And he asked a very important question. Do you see this woman? And what's the real answer? No. Simon didn't see the woman. What did Simon see? The mask he gave the woman. That's all he saw. Even though there was a human being, and Jesus is now talking to her, but I mean talking to Simon, but looking at her, he's like, did you even see her? And Simon knows, no, I didn't see her. I judged her. I condemned her. I put a mask on her. That's what I did. He said, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she was, has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, which is the tradition, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. He's like, what's he saying? He's saying, you not only didn't see her, you didn't even see me. And I'm perfect. You know, he's like, you can't see the broken person, and you can't even see the, the, the perfect person. Why? Because your mask is blocking you from seeing. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, I mean, we do make real mistakes, are forgiven. 
It's like, well, how do we know that she knows that? Because she loves much. But he who is forgiven little, he who doesn't think he needs any help, well, they love little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? See, even the others can't see Jesus. If you're trying to live your life to be perfect so that you can get the approval of others, stop wasting your time. Because even Jesus couldn't get the approval of others. They not only couldn't see the woman, they couldn't even see him. But yet we spend most of our lives, most of our money, most of our time in college, most of our time in, in, in the gym, trying to get other people to say that we're perfect, but yet one was perfect among them and they couldn't even see him. And Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Ah, oh, that is the result of, the, of a life living without a mask. This woman experienced the freedom of letting herself be open to God. She was willing to risk ridicule of others to encounter the love of God. You know, I, I, I know maybe when you came around and you saw me in my alien costume and it's like, man, that, that guy's stupid. And it's like, you know, it's like, well, Come on, Pastor Paul, you're 60 years old, you're dressing up like a costume, he's like, whatever. And you may have thought, well, you know, that's, that's, that's inappropriate. <laughs> it's like, you, if you, you don't know me, you haven't experienced inappropriate yet, okay? <laughs> I mean, okay, but I've been divorced and remarried. I've been arrested for selling drugs, had a nice little cocaine habit. Have I had dropped, got kicked out of college twice? Do you think I'm dre dressing up like an alien's gonna scare me? <laughs> you say, well, why? It's because when the truth sets you free, you're free indeed. I mean, you really are free to live life. You know, this real sticking point for many of us is this. John 5, Jesus says this, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from God? He's like, he says, the reason why we don't get this and the reason why we don't receive the glory that comes from God in this is because we're so busy trying to get the glory from other people. We're trying to get other people to buy into us. We're trying to get other people to approve of our lives. And Jesus says, as long as you do this, you're just not going to get this, this thing from, you know, this understanding about how much God loves you and the, the glory that can come, the unmasking that can come, that can come. Our fear of vulnerability and weakness keeps us on the carnival ride of seeking the approvals of others. And we miss God. I can tell you, living, trying to live a life of perfectionism, that perfectionism doesn't produce a better person. It just produces better mass. That's really all it does. I'll fix myself. As long as I am better than the next person. As long as no one comes near me. You know, I'm going to be okay. We'll try books, sermons, churches, diets, careers, seminars, universities, sports, all places 
that can become the pursuit of a perfect mask. Now, none of those things are wrong by buying into themselves. But if we think that going to college is going to make me feel better than my, uh, than my current self, if I think if I become the best athlete, if I think I make the most money, then, then we're using those things in totally the wrong way. We hide, we live in fear, and we live cloaked in pride. And you know, I think this is a really strong statement. With every attempt to be perfect, perfect we reject the gospel. You know, with every attempt of trying to be perfect, we reject, it's like, no, I don't reject the gospel. It's like, no, there's no way. I believe in the four gospels. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and, and rose from the dead on the third day. Oh, absolutely, I don't reject that. Every time we try to make ourselves good enough for ourselves and for God, we are in practice rejecting the gospel. I mean, that's what, that's what we're doing. Some of us don't know what it's like to just rest in the love of God. You know, just to relax in his grace and to know his grace. But in the humility of the cross, it was said to him, he can save others, but he can't save himself. But in the middle of all of it, he was saving everyone. Isn't that funny? He's up on the cross. He's almost naked. Everybody's like, well, you know, he could do miracles. You know, if you can turn water into wine, if you can walk on water, physician, heal thyself. <laughs> see, we now see who he really is. And now he's weak. And in that weak moment, Jesus identifies with every single one of us. In that naked moment, every fear that you and I have of being vulnerable in front of other people is totally exposed. But in that third day, when he rose from the dead, he showed that he has the power to give life. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God. It's not by works, it's not by your mask, it's not by your education, it's not by the color of your skin, it's not based upon how long it's been since you've had your last drink, or you smoked your last joint. It, it doesn't, it's not based upon how, how many years you have been married successfully. It's not based upon how long you've held a job, but it's not by anybody's mask, but the grace of God. I have a new life in Christ, and I feel Jesus' love for me just as he promised it, and I don't have to wear a mask any longer, and neither do you. I'm ready to be like this sinful woman a little foolish, but forgiven by Christ. Understanding the good news of the gospel. As we enter into this special moment of expressions, and this is a time when you just kinda, can I encourage you to maybe unmask in front of God? You don't have to share with anybody else. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. I'm not gonna, you know, unmask you in front of everybody, so just relax. We're not going to ask you to walk up in front of everybody else. What a terrifying idea. 
because that's not where it starts. It starts with you being able to, like this woman, though everyone else has given you a mask, to go to God just as you are and to give him your life and receive his, to let him love you. There probably could have been a thousand buts that it could have been written on her mask, but I've slept around, but I have a meth problem, but I cheated on my spouse, but I've got fired from my job, but, I mean, there could have been all kinds, but she decided she was gonna take that off even though everybody in the room was trying to put it on her. Can I encourage you today? Maybe Jesus is talking to you because he heard you talk about somebody else. And today in this message, he's saying, I know you got a troubled son or a daughter. I know that you work with somebody who you have labeled as a blooming idiot. I know that you may think you're married to them. That maybe in your heart you have spoken a mask on another person. Maybe today God's like, no. You need to go back to them and see them all over again, brand new with the love of God. Maybe today the only voice that you hear is the voice of rejection that somebody spoke over you. And I know that you've got it. I know that somebody might have said something to you that just stuck to you. And you just didn't think that mask, for somehow it, that mask became fused to your face. And today God, through his grace, wants to remove it. In this moment of time of prayer, and, and what we're doing here is, is it's a time of communion where you can take the bread and dip it into the cup and, and realize that Jesus was unmasked so that you and I can be clothed in grace. This may be a time where maybe you're not ready for that moment. Maybe it's a time you just let the worship song just flow over you. And we're going to be singing a song about no longer being a slave, but being called a child of God. Maybe you need to let that soak into you for a little bit. Because that's what God wants to do. He wants to take your slave mask and give you a, a beloved child of God covering in your life the clothing of grace in your life. Maybe it'll be a time where you'll give into another person's life or maybe just pinning a prayer between you and God and just pinning it to that cross and getting a piece of paper and just writing it down, something that somebody said to you and just leave it there and, and then take the bread and the cup and allow the grace of God to wash over you. Like with the women, woman, Jesus knows exactly who you are, whether you're Simon or whether you're the woman. You're both welcomed to the cross of Christ. You're both welcome to have the mask removed and to experience the forgiveness and the love of God. He's not afraid of you. He's not ashamed of you. He invites you. Heavenly Father, as we enter into this beautiful moment together, Lord God, and, and normally on a Sunday morning, this, is, this can be just a masquerade party where we put on our Sunday best. But God, today, our Sunday best is forgiveness, is mercy, 
is grace, is hearing you tell us, no matter who we are, no matter where we are right now in our lives, how screwed up it may be, or how messed up I may be in my mind, you're not messed up in your mind. But through the cross, you invite us to become children of God. Let me invite you to receive Jesus Christ into your heart. Receive his love. See his cross. It's not for, for the perfect people. It's not for the religious people. But it's for the people who need God. And so, Father God, we enter into this moment with you and we receive your grace.